0: Welcome to the reading of chapter 9 of Prometheus Rising and welcome to Sky Island or the Isle of Sky, because our protagonists are going to this mysterious and magical island in this chapter and embark on this new journey where they will find out more about what they're about to do, where they'll go to the Castle of Knowledge and meet Jed a very interesting and very mysterious person who knows more than he shows. So yeah, I hope you're really excited about this new chapter, so let's jump straight in. Wake up, Slanagar! wake up. I jumped up in terror, looking around. Easy. Fraser's mighty voice resounded inside my ears. I had fallen asleep in the car. A decision was made. Come on. I blinked several times to wake myself up. Give me a minute. Walking over to the sea, its beauty hit me once again. It wasn't like the warm and soothing waters I had seen in the south. This was a raw and wild ocean, not to be tamed by any man. The sun had risen already, it was the first time I had missed it in years. The waters were calmer now, and it was not raining anymore, though the sand under my feet was still wet. I washed my face with the salty water, and the cold of it freshened up my body and mind. The wind was still blowing around our ears, playing with our hair and long coats as we walked over to a smaller hut. Connell, the storyteller, was inside. Still unconscious, he lay there in fever, fighting off visions and hallucinations that came with it. I treated his wounds regularly since we left area 3 and had given him painkillers, but his body was too weak to fight those wounds. If he stays, Fraser silently explained to me while Caleb, David, and Bailey stood in a circle around the old man, he may have a chance to survive. He's heavily wounded but if we take him with us, it will be his death. Silence. I must have missed the discussion prior to my arrival. I fought my way through to him, feeling his pulse and forehead. I have some medication left to prolong his life, but I think his body is not strong enough to fight off the wounds. Then give him the medication and we leave him here, Caleb stated. If he stays, what point is there for us to go? I dared Caleb with my look. We'll try to find the village on our own. Impossible, David interrupted. They're in a hideout. If this village exists, one needs to know exactly how to go there. So we decide about his life, just like this. Caleb was furious, but this was the only way. How, he co- how could he not see this? Slanagar, Bailey faced me. You say he will die either way? Probably yes. I saw that my words were like a blow to David, although he tried to suppress it. Bailey nodded. Then the decision is made. He turned to Fraser, load him into the car. We left, Caleb not dignifying me with a single look. I provided Connell with pain-easing medication, a lot of it, hoping he'd live long enough to guide us. Everything depended on him now. Our cars departed several hours later, after we exchanged weapons for food and some warriors, and I gave some shooting lessons to Bailey. One of the warriors especially caught my eye. George McCain, his thick brown hair bound into a bun. He had tattoos all over his muscular arms and could not be older than 35. His green eyes were grave with determination. His wife, Danny, also joined us. She had strands of brown shoulder-length hair falling into the darker-skinned face, inferior in no other way to her husband. Strong, cheerful, and not to be intimidated. Everybody said their goodbyes to those we left behind. Fraser hugged his wife and daughter. Bright curls, not older than six, but strong as her father. Bailey approached. I heard you were there when McEen died. He was shot, right? I nodded. What were his last words? Lead them, Adama. They are your people. Nothing in particular, I lied. Why? It's customary to add them to the songs that are written about the dead, Bailey explained. He was one of my best friends. What he did for Area 3, I'd be damned if I'd let the people forget him. Our convoy departed, hosting thirty-eight men and women in all. McKeon's last words rung in my ears. The old sky bridge rose and fell in the morning mist, like the back of a giant fish, connecting us to this mysterious island. I hoped it was still intact and would hold. There had been a tension in the air throughout the whole ride, the closer we came, the more bizarre the landscape grew. The mountains became more solemn and grim than the greens of the gl- of Glencoe. The clouds hung low and swallowed the mountain tops. Everything around us bathed in grey. A reverence overcame me over such a powerful and sombre display of nature's might. Our two blue army vans drove onto the bridge, while my companion David in the driver's cabin seemed to hold his breath. About midway, as we crossed the bridge halfway and landed on the very top, thick fog engulfed us so strongly that I lost sight of the car behind us. Murmuring rose in the back, and I turned to David, who was sitting in the passenger's seat, eyes wide with fear. What is it about this island? I asked, my foot still on the gas pedal. My grandfather always said that this place is the threshold between this world and the other, Only ghosts, fairies, and monsters live here. Humans never return. This childish belief sounded ridiculous to my logical mind, and I wondered why Connell would spread such tales. But the way this island greeted us, with a dense fog that even shaded daylight and our companions from us, gave those words some senseless meaning. We drove for several minutes leaving the bridge behind and further down the road. The fog cleared a little as we continued for about ten or fifteen minutes. David looked in his side mirror, then turned around in a hectic movement, and murmured in fear and panic. They're gone! All of them! They're gone! Like a scared animal, he jumped up and down in his seat, and a look in the side mirror evoked panic inside my gut. I told you this is a cursed island, damn it! Calm down, all right. They probably just stopped, waiting for the fog to clear. But David breathed heavier. I heard voices from behind stop the vehicle. We dismounted from the driver's cabin while the other passengers left the truck. Most of them were from Area 4, including George and Danny McCain. They approached. So, what do we do now? George seemed laid back and I instantly knew that he was one of the few who did not believe in the scary legend. We continue, I said. This is not a big island. One way or the other, our trucks will cross paths. You are crazy, Then Danny laughed, cute dimples marking her face, then paused to think. Why do they even call you this? I used to be a doctor. I was a pilot, George winked. David ran towards me, eyes wide with panic. My grandfather, he's talking in some kind of dreamy state. He was out of breath. We ran into the truck to find Connell lying there, covered in cold sweat. His eyes neither shut nor open. He needed more medication, but I was hesitant to use it all on him. Connell murmured words, and as I closed in I could make something out, but nothing that would make sense. Connell. My voice was gentle. Can you hear me?" No reaction. "Here," I pushed David closer to him, "he needs to hear a familiar voice. You try it." David asked him several questions, and after a while he seemed to recognize him a little. A smile spread over his face. "David, is it you?" "Yes!" He pressed his hand, smiling, and I signaled to go on. "We need to know where to find the village of secret knowledge. The village on Sky Island. At the mention of Sky, the old man started to roll around and clenched his eyes and fists, his eyes neither closed nor open. I feared he was having a seizure. Why, why, he murmured. David was lost, scared at the sudden turn of events. Because uh, we're in Sky and we need to know. Suddenly, Conal opened his eyes wide and watched us with shock. Leave! You need to leave! He fell and closed his eyes again, breathing heavily. They'll trick you, the fairies, the monsters. He continued to murmur, clearly hallucinating. Listen, old man! I approached him, grabbing him by his clothes, surprised by my own rage. Tell me how we can find it! There was a beat of silence. Finally, Conal whispered in horror. The fairy pools. They'll find you there. With this he fell to the ground, motionless. I felt his pulse. He was still alive, and while David stayed with him I hurried to leave the truck. It hurt to see this man so helpless, void of reason or strength. "'Fairy pools!' I shouted. "'Anyone knows where it is on this goddamn island?' Fear was written in the man's eyes. They were so full of those horror stories that it blocked their simple common sense." George came closer, and I was glad to have him with me. Back in the days, I flew over this island once and slightly remember the terrain. I nodded. Then I'll need you in the front. We drove, and the fog had cleared completely after a while. I left two men where we had stopped to wait for the others. They would surely pass by soon and needed to know where we were heading. McCain had given them directions while I earned some disapproving looks at my impatience. The island was captivating in every way. No wonder it was said to be full of fairies and otherworldly creatures. Like a place from another world, it stood there with a grim decisiveness. The vegetation consisted of moss and flowers, hills, mountains and small waterfalls spreading everywhere we passed. The streets were deserted and broken in parts, ruins of villages were barely visible. Sometimes I feared the trucks might not survive the ride on the broken paths. The stone on the mountains looked like it was dropping down from the tops, flowing in between the yellow moss, as if the rocks were bleeding. We approached a set of mountains that grew against the sky, the tops hidden in the grey of the clouds. Stop here, McCain instructed, observing the surroundings trying to dredge up memories long gone. We need to go by foot from now. It shouldn't be far. I dismounted with David, McCain, and five other men from Area 4. The rest of around ten people remained with the car to wait for the others. The sky was cloudy and dim, and fog came and went like it pleased. The rust stone-gray mountains were enclosed in deep clouds, and the ground was a mixture between wet green and yellow grass Purple flowers and stones that peeked from all around us. The path that was barely visible went steeply down, and then up again towards the mountains. We walked on stones and passed small streams of waters, but I could hear a mighty waterfall in the distance. The surroundings were shining with desaturated greens and flowed into a fading color, like the ground would at any minute mix with the gray skies above. A place in between. I shivered. The mountain we were walking towards had a more prominent peak, a rupture directly in the middle and stones that looked like countless scars. A broken heart that caused scars all over the body. This is how I felt now. Those mountains reminded me of Area 3, and instantly the terrible images popped inside my head. Samuel, the shot the flames. My breath accelerated and I had to push those thoughts back, force myself to concentrate. This whole island had a certain atmosphere I could not ignore. Even if I did not believe those fairy tales, something stirred inside of me and became restless. We silently marched for around fifteen minutes through this valley of fading greens and stones when the water we heard from afar emerged. The sound came from two bigger waterfalls falling in unison into a pool of clear blue. As we approached I realized why they were called fairy pools. It was a collection of pools and several waterfalls, smaller and bigger ones, stretching through the whole valley towards the mountains, like a path leading to a treasure. The water was of clear and piercing blue, transparent and fresh. One did somehow expect otherworldly creatures to bath in those waters, enjoying the magic view. We went further up a hill towards the mountains when the valley stretched fully before us. I climbed down the rocks to the water to feel it on my skin. The streams were cold as ice. The mystery to this whole island had a hidden beauty in it. Here we stood, still and marvelling but also expecting something— What it was, I wasn't sure. They will find you. What did this even mean? Maybe the old man had been only hallucinating, thinking of non-existent fairies and tales. Now what? Danny said, shouting against the sound of the waterfalls. Those words flew around our ears with the mighty wind that ruled the valley. We wait, I hated to admit this, and hope that something happens. But then it occurred to me. We were in the middle of a valley surrounded by mountains, in a goldfish bowl, on display, exposed for every attack. There is always some truth that rings in legends, and if they say that no humans returned from this island, it must be for a reason. Could all of this be a trap? My eyes started to scan those mountains nervously, and I turned on my own axis. George noticed and began to watch out as well. But only the mighty streams of the water resounded in this place and we waited, for what seemed an awfully long time. Too long, I feared, as it made all the possibilities play out in my head. Who could live on this island? Government spies? Terrorist groups? What if they had eliminated the truck behind us already and had us separated to make their last move? I needed the distraction, so I walked over to George. So, a pilot, I murmured. Who did you work for? I flew some private jets. His green eyes studied, me, studied the surroundings, and he clearly enjoyed the pure wind on his face. First for celebrities, then for politicians. One day it hit me, their bullshit of a system. I wanted out. And you just left? I tried to change professions first, but as soon as you've heard too much, it's not that simple anymore. So when I had no other choice, I decided it was time to retire to the sea. He smiled. I wouldn't call this retirement, though. Who would have known that I'm a guy made for retirement? He winked. What about Danny? He looked over to her, clearly fond of what he saw. She returned a soft smile. We met in area too. Best decision of my life. Figures approached from the direction of the street. Narrowing my eyes, I could make out the forms of Fraser and Caleb and some others from Area 3. They were alive. A breath of relief left my lungs before I realized that an uncomfortable discussion was coming my way. They approached fast-paced and Caleb already eyed me with reproach. Deciding to ignore him, I just swallowed when he said, You should have waited for us. As soon as you lost sight of us you should have stopped. Instead of justifying myself, I turned around and stared into the vastness of the valley. The always dissatisfied Caleb. What had she even seen in him? But then there was something else behind the endless screen, A little black figure marching directly towards me. It was dressed in some kind of dark cloak that covered the head and spread all over the wet floor. I stared first, blanking out the pointless questions and discussions behind me, blinked to make sure I was not imagining it. Where did it suddenly come from? I began to march towards this figure, leaving everyone behind. As we closed in on each other, I stopped at a safe distance and the figure took down the hood. It was a man with hair mixed in black and grey and a wrinkled expression. There was something about him I noticed at once something i could not figure out but it captivated me like this island he belonged here he was part of it somehow as his bluish eyes stared directly into my face there was this expression an amnesis he looked as if he knew me but did not expect me to be here just yet then slowly as if to himself it looked like he whispered adama my eyes went wide I imagined it? Do I know you? I asked, and he gave me a smile that somehow put me at ease. Warm. Casual. Not yet. This is a story made for another time. The others closed in on me as well, and our moment of solitude was over. What is it that you are looking for? He asked with a peaceful voice, and for the first second it felt as if he had spoken directly to my heart. What was I looking for? I shook this thought off my mind. Information. We are looking for those prison camps and heard you might know that location. He looked up at the sky, pausing. Then, down to the fresh scar in my right hand, pondering. Where is the rest of Area 3? Towards Caleb. Dead, most of them. McIan? An odd. There was sadness in his expression at the statement. Did he know McIan? Follow me, the stranger finally said and turned around. We followed his footsteps across the valley to where the mountains met, eyeing each other. Fraser walked up to me with quick steps, trying to whisper in his always loud voice, What if it's a trap? To what end, I contradicted. Government? You think they'd dress up like this? I gave him a smile that calmed him down, but there was still unspoken tension in the air. The scarred mountain stared at us, blank and unmoving. The stranger led us directly to the big rupture in the mountain. We couldn't possibly climb it, could we? But then he squeezed his form into the rupture and vanished. We looked back and forth, and I doubted Fraser would ever fit inside, in between the stone. When I entered, there was a cave inside the mountain, it was so small that we all had to bend our heads to climb through it. The walls were dipping with water, and nobody knew what else this darkness held hidden. We walked for a very long time and I figured we were crossing the whole mountain. A frightening thought. After what seemed long minutes of ducking and climbing in the pitch dark, the cave ended, and before us stretched a forest so dense and green that I felt like we had entered another world. The ground was covered with moss of a sparkling green, and the shade of the trees did not allow much of sunlight, which was scarce in in this part of the world anyway. Everything about the forest screamed enchanted: the branches that reached for the sky, the trunks that were covered in greens. I remembered Connell's face staring at me, screaming, leave. But the atmosphere lured me in. Dust danced in the few rays of sun that passed through the trees. We, we-, we walked among the branches as our feet sank into the soft ground underneath. What is this place? Danny whispered to George and squeezed his hand. He protectively held it for a moment while my eyes lingered on the gesture. The dense trees shade us from the view of the drones and satellites, allowing us to pu- to live in peace, the stranger explained. Us? Several steps ahead, a small village sprawled before our eyes. The houses had been built around the trees, incorporating their trunks as part of the archi- architecture. They were wooden and small, and also for the most part moss-covered. The people we met among the houses numbered around twenty- Greeted us as we approached their faces were at ease, nothing special about their looks in particular. They were dressed like simple farmers, engulfed in daily labor. But there was no caution. a simple, friendly smile. There were no children here, and some of those who passed by me were carrying a pile of I wasn't sure it was f- what it was at first paper. It had been banned since the digital revolution, were those... books? The warm and alluring feeling of this place was getting to me. The fairies were doing their job very well, I thought with a smile. The stranger took his hood down and was talking to some woman, signaling towards us. She smiled and nodded. He approached our group and suddenly I was aware how we were the only ones unsuitable to this whole setting, standing out in some way. Now, allow me to introduce myself, he said. My name is Jed MacLeod. Welcome to the village of secret knowledge. He summoned us in one of the houses. There was something artistic about them that went beyond the needs of everyday labor, a stone fireplace lit the space and embraced us warmly. Carpets of fur covered the chairs in the floor. Bright daylight flooded the space from the windows. The interiors were partly carved and decorated with care for the little details. Flowers, vases, pillows. We were kindly offered something to eat and drink. Several people sat with us, talking casually, exchanging stories, and for a moment it was as if we would forget the terrible war we were planning to start. All of them had lived in outer areas before settling down in Skye, mostly for seeking knowledge. What they meant by knowledge, I was not sure. But the way they talked, expressed themselves and made use of language made it clear that they were all well-read. I find myself engulfed in a passionate conversation on medicine, explaining to round men with a thick mustache how the field had progressed over the last years, discussing alternative healing methods, genetic coding and AI operations. After a while, I caught my mind wondering if we were really up for the challenge we set upon ourselves. Closing my eyes, I reminded myself, think of her, think of Rahab. And the moment I had her deep blue eyes in front of me again, I got up from the table, watched Jed with precision, and said, I need to see the maps. Jed smiled at my impulsiveness. There is still time. We need to wait until the drone is in the northern part of the island, then we depart. What about our men? Kelly proposed. They will be here any minute. I sent Ellie and Daniel to get them. There seemed to be no place for worries here, everything was thought of already. And so it was. The rest of our men joined us shortly, surprised as we were at the sight of this surreal village. While eating we learned that the village had formed during the rise of the global union. People with second thoughts about the system had fled to Danvegan Castle, as this island had been abandoned for several years already. They had brought their books and belongings there. Later, when they had been hunted by the government, they sought refugee in the woods and laid foundations for the village. This had been over forty years ago. What about those tales of monsters and fairies of people not coming back? Who told you those? Jed wondered, and David replied, Connell. Ah, Connell, the old mystic. Jed laughed, but I thought there was a shadow crossing his face. He sees monsters everywhere. As for the people not coming back, it rings some truth. Most of them find something rare that makes it not worth leaving anymore, Jed winked. So apparently he knew Connell from a time long gone. Caleb turned round, searching, where's Connell anyway? Have you left him in the truck, all by himself? There was a sudden silence, and we all knew the truth. He is dead, I whispered to Jed. David's eyes widened, and I saw that he was trying to suppress tears. A look of fury passed over him, and he got up, left the hut. I could not blame him in the trucks. Jet clarified, and as I nodded, he talked to some men, then to us, we will bury him with dignity. The cheerful stories ended here, and silence covered us- a reminder that this war was not over, would never be. Jet got up, Adama, it's time to leave. just me. He didn't intend to bring anyone else? Caleb's eyes followed us as we left, not amused. We walked across the forest into the scarred mountain and past the fairy pools, accompanied by four men who carried a self-made stretcher. They had hidden the trucks under some trees further away from where we had parked. For several seconds, Jed stared at Connell's lifeless body that the man had carried out of the car. He clung to the moment for a second longer. Some bond had connected the two ones, a story written in Jed's expression. Before we mounted the vehicle, I saw Connell's corpse being carried down the valley. He would be buried in a place he dreaded. Life was full of irony. I started the motor and Jed navigated me. So, you are looking for the labor camps. Why is it? People were imprisoned during the attack on Area 3, we intend to find them and bring them back." Jed studied my expression, then concluded, "'There's more to it. For you. A bit. How did you get to Area 3?' A long story. We have time. The road led past the mountains towards the coast. The sun came out between the clouds, illuminating the waters that tenderly fell against the stone. I told him my story with, a sparse, with as sparse detail as possible. Leaving out Rahab and Samuel, even the thought about them hurt beyond reason. Area 3, he murmured, and there was the shadow again. Was it about the terrible thing that happened in Area 3, the one mentioned in the song? Have you been there? He shook his head. But it haunts me. Jed McLeod was one of those who knew, but he refused to elaborate like the others did. We drove for about half an hour and then had to walk over an overgrown footpath and long-abandoned garden. Even from afar, Danvegan castle stood majestically at the water, looking like a witness for centuries of history. The castle of knowledge, we call it, Jed explained. Before the global union began with the purge, many could save their books to this place. The purge? Jed smiled at me. They never teach this in history class. As the union was established, printed books were forbidden, and they burned all of them around the world. I thought this was because paper books were unsustainable. It's because electronic books are easier to control. I looked at him with suspicion as we walked towards the castle entrance. I knew of the digital revolution, but could this really be true? Wasn't this a bit far-fetched of a conspiracy? Why would government care about books, I contradicted. They always did. Just study history a little. Books are powerful. They inform, evoke emotion. The written word cannot be underestimated, and they know it. With the internet, it makes no difference anyway. All the information is widely accessible. Jed looked around, studying the sun. Then, he accelerated his steps. We need to hurry, the drone will be back any minute. We ran, then, and as we stood in front of the wooden door twice our size, Chet pulled out a big iron key. Slowly, the door budged open with a squeak. The cold of those dark walls hit me at once, a freezing and moist air that my lungs needed to get accustomed to. He quietly shut the door and turned the key. The internet is not as free as you might believe, Jed said, and his voice rang with an echo around the room. As I said, everything electronic is easier to control. It's a blessing in disguise. Light flooded the room carefully through a window above our heads. Before us spread a massive hallway with a set of wooden steps. Several portraits hung at the walls, the faces they displayed covered by dust, or the canvas torn. Most of the spaces where the rest of the painting should be stood empty and only left the stain of the brighter painted wall. The ground was crumbling already while dirt and dust had taken over the room. We don't have many opportunities to come here. Without a car it's an eight-hour walk, Jed explained. I try to take care of the books once a month, but it's a nightmare to hide from the drone while walking, and it's too risky to be exposed. He led me up to the wooden staircase that creaked underneath our steps, towards two wooden doors. Stopping in front of those doors that looked exactly the same, he dared me, smiling. Make a choice. I hesitated, throwing him a questioning look. Do you like riddles? I shook my head. Not really. Well, just pick a door. So that you can show me that several doors lead towards the same destination and it doesn't matter. While I spoke with a slyly annoyed expression and opened the right door, a wall was before me. The door led to nowhere. I looked back at Jed's amused expression, then opened the left door to find a staircase that led up. Actually, Jed returned with a raised eyebrow, the door you pick matters a lot. Come. He motioned me to the left, towards a massive white door. The right door was just placed there for symmetry, Jed explained. A matter of style and architecture for ancient times. The room we entered was spacious, and all the walls were covered in dark wooden cupboards. It looked like an office from a time past. The window overlooked the beautiful water and the green shore. In the shelves, books over books. Those that did not fit lay piled on the floor. I walked over to them, mesmerized. Paper books were long gone in the cities. If there was a perch, it had been over four decades ago, long before my time. I came closer, opened the dirty glass door and lifted one of those books, brushing away the layer of dust. It had a picture of hands reaching through st- stenchions on the cover. To kill a mockingbird, Harper Lee, it said. I opened the book and flipped the pages, felt paper on my hands for the first time. I had seen some ancient books in museums, but always behind a thick layer of glass. My hands never touched one. The paper smelled like it had absorbed everything it had been through. Dirt, perfume, moisture, countless shelves and rooms. I liked the smell, so I soaked it in. Behind me another sound of creaking. Jed opened a set of doors and what lay beyond stopped my breath for a short moment. Before I spread another room, even bigger than the previous one, a huge black table stood in the middle. On this table lay more books in piles. But what caused my fascination was the walls. Covered in dark red silk fabric, they were outlined with numbers, sentences, arrows in a black thick pen, and torn apart, paper fragments all across the room. The words were a canvas for a huge mind map some evil genius had left behind a map of what? A chimney of brown marble stood at the back wall, over it an empty space where a portrait belonged, but now more words, numbers, and fragments hung. I walked into the room, looking around in silence. Another riddle, Jet murmured. There was something about this room, I realized. Something otherworldly. I longed to stay here all day, study those books, immerse myself into this mind map to solve its riddle, just sit here and stare, feel the sensation of paper between my fingers. There seemed to be something important inside those walls, something that contained lifetimes of history, what was left of the furniture was but a small witness. But there was no time, so I forced myself to turn away from those inscriptions and focus on my mission. I turned to face Jed again, only then realizing that he was watching me with attention, with a shadow of an amnesis crossing his face for a split of a second. He suddenly looked sad. I need the maps, I said. He stared at me for two seconds longer, not answering. Maybe he had been hoping he could keep me busy here for a while. Intrigue me. Follow me, he said and walked me through the corridor of crumbling dark blue walls to the right side of the castle. In this room the windows were broken and grey with dust. A white marble chimney stood at the far wall with a massive mirror above, a green baroque couch covered with layers of dirt. A table with white and red chess figures stood at the window, the figures looking like they were abandoned in the middle of a match. As Jad passed this table he gently nudged one of those figures into another position, engulfed in a memory. There was history inside those walls, history that involved him in some way. We walked over to an old wooden table where Jed opened a drawer and took out a set of rolled white paper, putting it on the desk. There were at least several dozen maps inside that revealed locations of the planned labor camps. Whether they had actually been constructed on those exact spots and if they were still located there was uncertain. I spread the maps across the table. There were countless marks all around the globe of where the camps had been intended. So many camps. Markings and drawings all over the world, planned in those parts of the outer areas that were rather deserted and uninhabited, like the tundra, greenland, deserts, former national parks, mountains. After several minutes we found a map of the British Isles. It showed four maps in this part of the world alone, two in Scotland, one in Wales, and one in Ireland. My hands trembled. Could this be true? Could those camps really exist, hidden from the face of humanity, a governmental whim? I turned to Jed, dumpstruck. Is this real? I believe so. His voice was dim, and the reality of the possibility settled over me, if this was true It was not only Manasseh who had represented this evil all along in my head. No, it was really them, as Rahab had put it. It was the whole worldwide government. A chill ran down my spine. I should have listened to her. I should have stayed. Those camps have existed only once in history, at least some of them. I was staring at those camps, unable to tear myself away. Where had they taken her? We need to leave. I still stared, but in my peripheral vision, Jed did not move, not even flinched. So I looked up, catching a stare that was directed at me. I had this feeling before you came. A fire is rising. His eyes were unmoving, but there is one thing you should know. If you don't face the truth, you will become exactly like them. His mysterious talk made no sense to my mind that was already planning how to conquer and destroy the prisons, thinking about where hub might be situated. Like whom? The people you despise so much. This statement threw me off. Was he actually comparing me to those murderers who had destroyed Area 3? So what do you suggest? Sit back, relax and enjoy the show? He let out a deep breath. I had the same conversation with Connell once and he refused to believe me. Now look at him. Who overcomes by force had overcome but half his foe. Then he turned around and left. Alone in this room I turned around to see the books that surrounded me. A lifetime was not enough to read them all, and as a man of science this idea might have drawn me once. But not any anymore. I turned my attention to the maps again. This was the only mission I knew now. Half an hour later, we drove the blue army truck back to the ferry pools. It was getting dark already, and a strange calm was settling over the island. Only the wind was blowing so heavily that it pulled at the truck. I held the maps of those four prisons folded on my lap, hoping the trap was in one of them. In fact, she could be everywhere by now in Siberia for all I knew. We walked across the valley in half-darkness, and the wind was threatening to blow us off our feet. I held the maps tight, they were my only connection to Rahab now. Jed had not spoken to me since the last comment that startled me for the more I thought about it, and there had been plenty of time to think. Who overcomes by force had overcome but half his foe. I forced myself to think about strategies instead. How would we go about the first attack? Suddenly, Jed, who had for ten minutes walked quietly in front of me at the ferry pools, turned around and faced me. His coat was flying wildly with the wind. His right hand stretched something towards me, something dark that was hard to see in the fading light. I took it. It was a small book, leather cover, black all over except for the title engraved in the front. Paradise Lost The story of this book is a story I will tell you another time, in another life. But it belongs to you. It always had. Leaving me with no possibility to object or answer, he turned around and walked on. I held the book, feeling the rough leather between my fingers. It belonged to me? What was the story he would not tell me? The sun was nearly gone now, but still I heard the mighty roar of the waterfalls and saw the shape of the black mountain against the fading sky. When we entered the black of the cave, the wind around our ears had stopped, and it was suddenly very quiet. The forest had already fallen victim to the night. There were some fires burning in the houses. When I entered the coziness and warm of the hut where the man stayed, I saw how Caleb was talking to David by the fire. Was he comforting him? The man stared at me with expectation, and I raised the maps in my hand. From here on, everything went fast. We spread them over the table. I explained where the camps were and suppo- were supposed to be situated, and we started discussing a plan. Caleb was the strategist, making grand plans and exi- anticipating the dangers. The men and women listened to him, trusted him. I spread out another map that showed a detailed outline of the camp that lay closest to us, at Loch Lomond, which was still a good four hour drive. "All of them are built in the same manner; this seems like the oldest one," I explained. The plan of attack was simple, at least according to me. Caleb and Fraser discussed endlessly back and forth and I let them. From the corner of my eye I saw David talk enthusiastically to Jed. The night was still long and we needed to move carefully to avoid drones. We should leave now. A stare from the men. The darkness will cover your tracks, Jed explained from behind, staring at the fire. As all slowly nodded, he shifted his eyes on me, daring me. A fire is rising. When we left the hut, the night had enveloped the sky hills completely, and although several stars had made it through the thick clouds, They were not enough to light our paths. Jet had given us two torches for orientation and we carefully left through the gateway of the narrow cave, into the pitch black of the night. I've decided to stay here, David announced as we bid our last goodbyes. This village suited him, the knowledge, poetry and peace. I envied him a little. But as the two blue trucks stood there, unmoving, suddenly this island, this village, all of it seemed like a dream. We loaded them with more food and supplies graciously provided by the sky inhabitants. The engine started quietly, heading directly towards one of the scariest places on Earth, to the beginning of a war against an enemy far superior. But I was not afraid. I stared at the leather book Jade had given me. Paradise Lost. My book? The strange title looked back at me. Well, this has been quite a long chapter but I really enjoyed writing it and I really enjoyed making my research about this particular chapter because the Isle of Skye is really captivating and um, I visited the fairy pools, walked across them, I visited the castle of knowledge and it's really true that there are two doors and one of them leads into a wall and the other one leads up into the next level uh yeah so i actually i really wanted to know what was behind because i kind of wanted to bring it into my book but you when you're a tourist you don't get to see that but i asked some people who were there and i enjoyed doing my research enjoyed looking at those rooms enjoyed driving all across the isle of sky because it's really really captivating and interesting the fairy pools um yeah, so full disclosure, of course, there is no village behind the mountain, there's no entrance into the mountain, this is something I made up, uh, but there's really, like, when you, when you look, I looked up at Google Maps, when you look from above, um, you can see that there is, like, a dense forest behind that mountain, so, yeah, this is what kind of gave me that idea that, Actually, there could be something interesting behind that mountain, a village that is hidden from the eyes of the drones because the forest was really so dense that when you look from above from the satellite, you cannot see what's in there. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed this chapter. You know, I'm a big lover of books and I love bringing in this whole thing about books, about knowledge, about this, um, this particular village and also... There's more about it in uh, my prequel, uh, Shanaki's Tale, because there we see where Connells came from, what this Connell, the storyteller came from, where what the study is that we see, this whole mind map on the wall in the castle of knowledge and everything that's behind it. So if you want to read it, it's free. You can download it for free on my website, dfwink.com. Just download it as an ebook for free and start reading, because it's a really interesting uh, story that goes before Prometheus Rising. Um, Yeah, I hope you enjoyed this particular chapter, and I'll see you next week on Chapter 10.